evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Thursday, April 7, 2022. The UN mission in South Sudan is praising South Sudanese leaders for taking steps to implement the 2018 peace deal. We think it demonstrates a commitment to justice, accountability, reconciliation, and healing. With just 10 months left in the transitional period, we strongly encourage all parties to channel this renewed momentum towards completing the remaining benchmarks of the peace agreement. And the leader of SPLM-IO faction is accusing forces loyal to South Sudan's first vice president, Riyak Machar, for attacking his forces in Unity State. Forces of Riyak Machar carried out attacks on our positions from 4th, 5th and 6th of April. These are areas which we took over from them a long time ago. They also attacked us in Mirmir and our forces managed to capture weapons and we killed more than 70 of their forces. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The United Nations mission in South Sudan is commending this week's launch of the process that would lead to the establishment of a Truth, Reconciliation and Healing Commission. A spokesperson for the UN mission in South Sudan says the move demonstrates the commitment of the parties that signed the 2018 peace deal to address justice and accountability in the country. Waka Simon Wudu reports for VOA from Juba. Speaking during the launch of the process on Tuesday, Nicholas Haysom, the special representative of the UN Secretary General in South Sudan, said the start of the transitional justice process is an undertaking to realize the right to truth, justice and reparations, which will help address the root causes of the past conflicts in the country. He says the move can contribute to more resilient and harmonious society. Haysom said while UNIMIS remains committed to South Sudan through capacity building and financial support, the process should be driven by South Sudanese themselves. He also called on the government to allow the civic space needed to get the job done. Ladies and gentlemen, the promotion of civic space is key in enabling civil society, the media, grassroots actors, victims, survivors and witnesses to participate in public life where they can openly press their demands, interests and differences. The UN will continue to work in in partnership with government and other stakeholders in ensuring best practice principles such as inclusiveness, participation, gender sensitivity, victim-centeredness, transparency and national ownership are integrated into the consultation process and the design of transitional justice institutions. President Salva Kiir and First Vice President Riyak Machar launched the nationwide public consultation process this week that should pave the way for creating the Truth, Reconciliation and Healing Commission. In an exclusive interview, UNIMIS spokesperson in Juba, Linda Tom, tells South Sudan in focus that UNIMIS welcomes the efforts by the government to launch the national consultative process for establishing the commission which is stipulated in Chapter 5, Article 2 of the 2018 Peace Deal. We think it demonstrates a commitment to justice, accountability, reconciliation and healing. With just 10 months left in the transitional period, 
we strongly encourage all parties to channel this renewed momentum towards completing the remaining benchmarks of the peace agreement. Government officials, citizens, and South Sudan's international partners say the process should be driven by the principles of fairness, inclusivity, and transparency. The revitalized peace deal states that the unity government shall establish the commission as a critical part of the peace-building process to spearhead efforts to address the legacy of conflicts, promote peace, national reconciliation and healing. The deal requires that the government establishes the commission by a legislation which would have been promulgated not later than three months after the formation of the unity government and commence its activities not later than a month. Tom says there is agency for the process considering the growing level of subnational violence in some parts of the country. The resurgence of subnational violence across the country and growing humanitarian needs further underscores the urgency for this to happen. The UN remains steadfast in supporting the government of South Sudan and parties to the peace agreement, such as bringing together diverse voices for dialogue advocating for accountability for human rights violations and abuses, and providing technical support to address conflict-related sexual violence. President Kir says despite the challenges facing South Sudan, the work on establishing the commission must move forward. For VN News, I'm Waki Simon Wudu in Juba. The United Nations says recent development in South Sudan gives hope for a possibility of holding South Sudan's first elections in 2023. But a South Sudanese analyst says while recent steps taken to implement the peace deal are welcomed, the agreement on unified command for various forces leaves a lot to be desired. Jokmadud Jok says South Sudan's peace partners need to do more for the nation to have a free and fair elections in 2023. Nabil Biagio reports for VOA from Washington. During his regular briefing from New York on Wednesday, the UN Secretary General's spokesperson, Stefan Dijerek, outlined the importance of recent developments with regards to implementing the South Sudan peace deal. From South Sudan, the mission there commenced the launch that took place yesterday of the national consultative process on the establishment of a commission for truth, reconciliation and healing. The UN mission says it demonstrates a commitment to justice and accountability, uh, reconciliation and healing. Dujaric says the agreement to unify the command of armed forces as well as the step taken to establish the Commission for Truth, Healing and Reconciliation have generated a momentum for implementing the rest of the tasks included in South Sudan's peace agreement so that elections can be held in early 2023. We strongly encourage all parties to channel this renewed momentum towards completing the remaining benchmarks of the peace agreement. The mission on the ground voices hope that this will help ensure that free and fair elections can be held on time, which is crucial given the resurgence of subnational violence across South Sudan, as well as growing humanitarian needs. Jok Madud Jok, professor of anthropology at Syracuse University in New York, says... While the developments are important, he sees some problems with the agreement on unifying the command structure of government and opposition forces. The, the command structure announced uh, leaves a lot to be desired in terms of equity between the government and the opposition forces. Not just in terms of ratios and numbers, 
but also in terms of the importance of offices divided. The opposition seems to take only one deputy commander-in-chief position, and the rest are very low-level uh, uh, command positions, whereas the government takes uh, over 90% of the command posts that are in that, uh, in that matrix. Jok says the fact that the government retains most high positions in the army's command structure may result in some opposition commanders feeling dissatisfied with the deal. Jok says President Salva Kiir did not demonstrate genuine political will to carry out the unification process or fully implement the rest of the tasks stipulated in the peace deal. On the part of the opposition, uh, Dr. Yamachata, the, the first vice president, I see that uh, he, he seems like a, a man who is uh, pushed to the corner and doesn't have a lot of leeway and did not have uh, much room for him to wiggle. Uh, but uh, but on the side of the uh, of the government, uh, I see a, a very flagrant and obvious lack of commitment uh, to a sense of equitable distribution of powers in the army. But even more dangerous, I see no commitment to professionalization of the army. So both sides might say we will unify the command. Uh, but they are not uh, committing visibly and programmatically to a program that will uh, unify the rank and file over the next two months, as as was stated. Jock says the unification agreement leaves a lot of unanswered questions regarding the selection criteria of government and opposition commanders and officers who will man the command of the regular forces. He says for any talk of holding elections in 2023 to be taken seriously, several tasks must be first completed. To begin with, it's the security arrangement itself. This, this very army unification that we are talking about, which has to really genuinely happen and demonstrably established that it will happen in the next two months so that all the armed forces and the armed groups will merge into one national army and everything else and everybody else outside that would have to be disarmed or sent home somehow. But so long as we still have a unified army and then hold out groups, so many young men and women who are still out there holding guns, Without any kind of affiliation, I don't think you will have a security environment that is suitable for holding a democratic election. Jock says a constitution must also be drafted and the peace deal must be incorporated into that constitution which would guide any upcoming elections. He says other important tasks must be completed, such as defining constituencies by holding a census of the population, including millions of South Sudanese who are refugees in neighboring countries and others who are in internally displaced camps within the country. Jog adds that there must also be guarantees that the government will not use the state apparatus under its control to tilt elections in its favor, which he says might reignite another episode of fighting in the country. For VOA News, I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. The SPLMIO Kitguang faction is accusing forces loyal to the country's first vice president, Riyak Machar, of attacking their positions in Unity State. 
General Simon Gatwich Dole, who leads a faction of SPLM-IO, says his forces came under fire earlier this week, which resulted in the killings of 12 of his forces, including a major general. The military spokesperson for Riyak Machar denies the allegations. Michael Atit reports. He's speaking to this program for Omeganis on the border between South Sudan and Sudan. Kidguang faction leader General Simon Gatwich says forces loyal to first vice president Riek Machar killed 12 of his officers in Lear County this week, including Major General Garkuch Tut, who was commanding his forces in the Mirmir area. General Gatwich claims Kidguang forces have killed more than 70 of Machar's forces and captured a number of weapons and ammunition. Forces of Riak Machar carried out attacks on our positions from 4th, 5th and 6th of April. These are areas which we took over from them a long time ago. They also attacked us in Mirmir and our forces managed to capture weapons and we killed more than 70 of their forces. We repulsed them up to Lair. Colonel Lampol Gabriel, a spokesperson for the SPLAIO faction loyal to Riak Machar, denies the charges and says local armed young men allied to commissioner of Kwach County attack Machar's forces. Gabriel says... The Kidguang faction has no forces in Unity State. They came and attacked us in uh, Pade and uh, Bo. Then uh, we pushed them back uh, the day before yesterday to Mirmir. And yesterday our forces managed to uh, capture Mirmir. And I believe we were attacked by the forces loyal to the commissioner. Unless if Kidguang faction are claiming that the commissioner of Koch County has defected to them. Otherwise, they don't have any presence in Unity State. The Kidguang faction signed an agreement on the status of forces with SPLM in the government in January this year, but the agreement has yet to be implemented. Asked about the Kidguang's position on the recent agreement for the military command structure among parties to the revitalized peace agreement, Gatwich says the deal does not mean them, and that Kir and Machar are not serious about the peace. I owned the whole forces of Riak Machar. I am in command of all these forces. They will not allow themselves to be taken to Juba and to be deceived. They will not go. Truth must be said. What is happening between Kir and Machar is just delaying tactics. The Kidguang faction led by Simon Gatwich and deputized by Aguelek leader Johnson Oloin broke away from Machar's SPLM Ayo in late 2021. The faction accused Machar of neglecting the forces in the battlefield. The two sides have attacked each other in the Meganis area on several occasions. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, a Sudanese analyst says more names will be submitted to the ICC for trials. Find out why after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. What is your definition of the life well lived? When you accomplish, you set goals. Take for example, when you say, I must finish university. Even if you don't work, as long as you're finished, there is no problem. Even if I die today after finishing. When someone is living a godly way, 
uh, focused on achieving his or her own goals and uh, trying to be morally upright. Though it's not everybody that actually have a dream, but there are some this set of people that have a dream and they're working towards to achieve that dream. A life well lived is one where one is able to fulfill his dreams, his aspirations, his goals, all that he wants before he dies. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. A Sudanese political analyst and a researcher says other names are likely to come up, including General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and his deputy, Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, also known as Hemiti. Jihad Mashmoon tells VOA's Carol Van Dam that Mohammed Ali Abdel Rahma, also known as Kusheb, appeared patient in the ICC courtroom during opening statements this week. I would have expected a lot of emotions from him, but again, it's a guy... If I'm reflecting on his experiences, you can see a lot of why he's being stoic. I mean, as a experience of a, being a warlord, so it can explain a lot of his behavior. And he's limiting, he gave limited answer, like, no, I'm not guilty. All 31 counts, not guilty. Absolutely. And he said, when they was hearing the car, charges against him, like, I plead not guilty. The importance here, I believe, when he said, I plead not guilty, I believe he was going to, or he has an intention of saying who gave the orders to do these genocides, or what's believed to be the genocides in Darfur. Isn't part of his argument is that he's not guilty because you have the wrong guy. This is mistaken identity. Yes, I did think about that. And I don't know what to make of it, really. It's like, why would he give himself up then? There's going to be lots and lots of testimony and witnesses. How long do you think this is going to go on? And do you expect any kind of surprises coming out of this trial? As an expert in uh, Sudanese, I don't really expect surprises because we all know, uh, we all have an understanding of what Ali Kachif did from base of what people told us had happened in Darfur or from Darfurians themselves, from people hailing from the region of Darfur, especially the African tribe, because they bear the brunt of uh, warlords like uh, Ali Kushayb and uh, Lieutenant Hamdan, yeah, Lieutenant uh, General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, who's currently a member of the Sovereign Council and who was also involved, was a warlord uh, that was coordinating the genocide with Burhan. So I w- we wouldn't be surprised. However, it would be fascinating, of course, to onlookers who are interested in Sudan and the developments that are currently happening in Sudan, especially in terms of transitional justice, uh, the current situation in Sudan. You mentioned Degalo. Do you think that Degalo or Omar al-Bashir, the former president, will ever be turned over to the ICC? That's a good question. I believe, actually, it does open another question, yes. Now, the commitment of uh, Sudan handing over Omar al-Bashir and the others wanted by the ICC. Omar al-Bashir, I doubt that Burhan or the military armed forces would accept handing over Omar al-Bashir. Again, Omar al-Bashir, he hails from the army. So handing him over to a foreign judiciary, that tarnishes the image or the integrity of the armed forces. Sudanese government said before the military coup that they were going to cooperate with the ICC. Do you think that they're still standing in line with that statement? That was, as you mentioned, Carol, that was during, before the coup. 
At the moment, everything is paused, and even one of the members, who's now a member of the Burhan Coalition, he said it bluntly in a meeting after the coup happened, he came out, and it's even publicized, that there was a gentleman talk under the table that we won't hand over our Bashir and the others wanted by ICC. Do you think that they're planning to hold their own court of serious crimes, atrocities committed there in Khartoum? Burhan did allude to that, that he did mention that the Sudanese courts are competent. However, it is highly doubted because the courts are, have been entry, have a lot of influences of the former regime. That was Sudanese political analyst Jihad Mashmoun, a research fellow at the Institute of Arab and Islamic Studies. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Damme from England. Press freedom groups and the U.S. and British embassies in Malawi have expressed concern after police interrogated an investigative reporter over his sources and confiscated his equipment. Gregory Gondwi says police held him for hours Tuesday in a failed attempt to get him reveal his contacts. Godwi had published a story in March about the government's alleged secret dealings with a businessman who is on trial for corruption. Islamic Masena reports from Blantai, Malawi. The arrest of journalist Grigori Gondwe with a platform for investigative journalism came after Malawi's Attorney General Tabo Chakaka Nirenda announced he would take action against those who leaked a document meant for the Anti-Corruption Bureau. According to the document that Gondwe used in his story published on March 30, it appears that Nirenda allowed the government to make payments to the corruption suspect Zuneth Satam. That move runs counter to Nirenda's actions in January when he publicly terminated all Satam's contracts with the government and restricted any payment on the same. In his story, journalist Gondwe said the government had secretly paid millions of dollars to Satas company, Malachite FZE, to procure eight anti-riot water cannons for police. Gondwe told VOA Wednesday the police were demanding that he reveal how and from whom he got the documents. They said story is factual. All they are trying to find out is the source, which is something that cannot happen in journalism. The moment I'm going to give them my source, that means I'm killing I mean, it's the death of journalism. So from the way to go, I told them that this is a futile attempt from your side because you are not going to get anything from me. Teresa Ndanga is the chairperson for the Media Institute for Southern Africa in Malawi. She told a local radio the arrest contradict government's claim of respecting media freedom in Malawi. It's quite unfortunate uh, that we seem to be going backwards instead of really moving forward. We currently have the access to information law in which one of the provisions is that journalists are protected from revealing their sources. In a joint statement Tuesday, the U.S. and British embassies in Malawi condemned the move and asked police to immediately return the confiscated equipment to Gondwe and respect any private information found there. James Kadadzela is assistant commissioner for the police. He told VOA Wednesday via a messaging app that police did not arrest the journalist. Mr. Grigory Gondwe was not arrested uh, by the police. In fact, he was invited to Southwest Region Police Headquarters for an interview on the ongoing investigations police are conducting regarding an online news story that was published by an uh, organization where 
Mr. Grigory Gondwe is waiting for. But Gondwe, who was released four hours later, says he doesn't believe it was an interview. Because when they took me to the police, they kept me in the criminal investigations department room. At one time, I asked to go to the bathroom. But before they could even release me, the officer that was guarding me had to seek permission first. Police unconditionally released Gondwe Tuesday and retained his equipment Wednesday. Kadadzela said the police might invite and interview Gondwe again if they feel they need to. Government spokesperson Gospo Gazako says in a statement the government welcomes the release of Gondwe and that it fully subscribes to the values of a free independent media. Gondwe says the statement smacks of double standards and that the government seems contradicting itself. Lamek Masina for VOA News. Blanta Malawi Ministers and senior representatives from the East African Community Member States met in the Kenyan capital Nairobi to discuss efforts aimed at addressing migration issues in the region. The UN says there are about 195 million people, including refugees, asylum seekers and internally displaced persons in East and Horn of Africa. Mohamed Abdiker is the East and Horn of Africa Regional Director for the International Organization for Migration. VOA reporter Ruben Chama asked him to explain the ongoing efforts to establish a regional consultative process on migration for the region. And we're facing a situation where we're talking about integration in the region. You have the East African Common Market Protocol. We have the issue of eager free movement protocol itself. But we want to see how we can concretize this for the benefit of our citizens in this region. But also importantly, we also want to look at the labor rights of our people. If you look at the bilateral labor agreements that uh, we've signed between member states in the eastern horn of Africa with the Gulf countries, are they beneficial to our citizens? Are their human rights being protected? How are we going to deal with the issue of irregular migration? We're having a large number of our citizens from this region who are crossing the Red Sea into Yemen, into Saudi Arabia. How are we going to protect them? To give you numbers, if you look at numbers concretely, if we talk about Ethiopia, we've issued an appeal of about $11 million to assist Ethiopian government in receiving about 100,000 Ethiopians who have been deported from Saudi Arabia. That just gives you the magnitude of the, of the issue. When we talk about migrants from this region moving from Horn of Africa to Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, two years ago, last year, over 150,000 people go irregularly, not regularly, not with official documents, but irregularly. That gives you the, the magnitude of the irregularity of these issues, but we also have to worry about who's coming to our borders and who's not coming into our countries. Do you see some progress and how is the situation like now? Is it uh, getting worse or is it getting better? I, I can look at this in two ways. One is um, the region is expanding. We're seeing more member states joining the East African community, for example. Just yesterday, the heads of state of East African community admitted Democratic Republic of Congo. Does that mean the regional integration is working? Yes, it is. It looks like if there is a reason for another member state to join, it means something is working. That was Mohamed Abdiker, East and Horn of Africa Regional Director for the International Organization for Migration, speaking with VOA reporter Ruben Chama in Nairobi.
That's all we prepared for you this Thursday. We would like to welcome our listeners on 89.6 Hope FM in Kajukeji Town in Central Equatorial State to the family of VOA affiliate stations across South Sudan. We now end this show with the song Kelele by Hardlife Avenue Stars. been listening to Hardlife Avenue Stars with the song Kelele. I'm John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, vehicles and phones. Remember to join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Mm-hmm.